It's The In Show, Australia's only show dedicated to innovation from Adelaide, Australia and across the globe. It's David Grice and Troy Sincock. Another day, another podcast. We're all about stories and have we got a story to tell you shortly. Remember, if you enjoy The In Show, we're changing platforms. We're now on Ozcast, and that means that you're going to have to resubscribe to The In Show in Apple Podcasts. So resubscribe to The In Show with a coloured logo. Today we're speaking with Susan Rooney-Harding. Now she's a creative qualitative data specialist. Now by qualitative, Really, it's talking about stories, right? Yeah, it is. She's grabbing stories. Uh, she's also a multimedia producer. Uh, and she founded an organisation called The Story Catchers. And, and they're actually teaching people how to create media that tells a story. Uh, and they're giving the communities the skills to create a whole pile of digital content for a myriad of different things. Yeah, it really is incredible work. So Susan, tell us more about participatory media and why you're so passionate about this space. Okay, so participatory media is where I'm teaching the community how to actually create media and disseminate that media. Mm -hmm. And we use that in lots of different ways, actually. And one of the ways that we use use it is in the monitoring and evaluation field. And so I actually teach people how to create media all on iDevices or or smart devices, I should say. And the phone has this incredible power to be able to actually shoot, edit and publish all from the one device. And so it's like this whole media suite in a moment. Mm. So um, participatory media is where I'm teaching the community how to create media for a purpose, okay? And so those purposes may include engagement or they may include monitoring and evaluation data and stuff like that. When we're using it for uh, monitoring and evaluation data, the course needs to be carefully designed around a content plan because I'm asking people to be able to actually produce content that can be fed into reporting. And where that's actually really powerful is the people that are actually out there doing that stuff are the people that have already got relationships with the community. So say we're talking about Indigenous communities. Mm -hmm. Um, Number one, we've got, we're really remote. It's really hard to get media producers out into remote areas. Mm. I do a lot of work remotely and it takes me two days often to get into country. I'm not even out of this state. We we live in a big country, you Mm, know, like, and one of those days is flying. (laughs) So, you know, it's sort of like big, big place. And so when you're talking about empowering people to be able to actually create their own media when they're out on country or when they're in community, um, it's really powerful because they're the ones that have got the relationships. I can go into the community for sure, but I have to build that relationship with the community to be able to actually get those stories from them. So that's participatory media. Is it communities identifying their own need that then ask for your services or is it the other way around, that you, that, you're, that you can see an opportunity to really connect people and have, you know, the stories that they've created be heard outside of their communities? Both. Mm. Both. So say, for instance, if we're using um, participatory media for a monitoring and evaluation process, it will be often the um, organisation that will identify that that's the need. Mm-hmm. And so I'll be sent in to help those communities to be able to create their own stories. But if it's just story for story's sake, again, it's often the organisations, I mean, that will actually identify that they want to have um, stories told of their communities and it's a lot more powerful to engage and empower the communities to be able to actually tell their own stories for a lot of reasons. 
and it's probably cheaper too than mm. sending in a video production team. Mm-hmm. So from a practical point of view, how does this look? So, you know, when you're talking about mon- monitoring and evaluation data, what do you do to help people? Okay, so qualitative data is really story. I mean, it's just a fancy word for story, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, so traditionally we've been awesome at collecting quantitative data for years and years and years. Like the numbers have been king. But really, when we're talking about a monitoring and evaluation process, it needs to be diverse. It needs to have both to be holistic. You know, our world doesn't operate in a monoculture, you know. It it actually works in a biodiverse system. Mm. And it's the same with anything, like with monitoring and evaluation. We need to have a look at a bit of diversity. Like we can't really tell what's happening on the ground by the numbers. We can say, okay, so great. Um, A real example is I was working on a project up in the APY lands, which was a driver's licensing project. And it was having some phenomenal number results, you know. Um, So when they first went in there, the rate of people having licences in community was 17%. After 18 months, that had jumped up to around 30%, which is a huge success. Mm. However, we didn't know what those stories were behind those numbers. We knew that, yeah, that's great. It's having this really phenomenal effect. But what are the stories? And so I went out there to collect the stories to find out what the real effect was on the ground. And one of the stories that emerged, which, which is a really endearing story, a beautiful story and a very powerful story, is there's this young fella, 22-year-old, and he got his licence after <clears throat> a long time of not having his licence. He got his licence through this program and he, because he got his licence, he got a job. And this job was at the local school as an Aboriginal education worker. And because he had this job as... The, and his licence, he actually thought, well, you know, to get the young fellas at school, perhaps I'll create a program, an incentive program, that if they come to school every single day, I'll um, take them out hunting on Fridays, on Friday nights. So, you know, like from him going and getting his licence, he got a job and he's now he's now instigated a cultural program within the school and all of a sudden, the int- attendance rate of the school of these young fellas went up 100%. Wow. So how would we know those stories, right. you know? Mm. Really powerful stuff, mm-hmm. all from getting a licence. So we don't know those stories unless we go out there and find out what those stories are and then we can actually do more of what's working or do less of what's not working. Mm. And so what we do is I go out, I capture all of the qualitative data and we've got a really, we use a process called most significant change, which is not a new innovative monitoring and evaluation tool. Mm. However, the way we're doing it is, and so what we um, do is we do it on video. And why we do it on videos, um, because we do participatory forums. Mm-hmm. And those, so I come back, I go out into country or I go out into the communities, I collect all the qualitative data or the stories, and then I bring them back and I edit them up into documentaries. And I've usually got about six different documentaries. I then actually go with my monitoring and evaluation specialist and we go back into the communities and we do participatory forums using the documentaries. So... The peoples in the community and the managers and the CEOs are all part of this participatory forum of unpacking the stories, finding out what the enablers are, what the barriers are. And why video is so important is, you know, particularly when you're talking about minority groups, 
often, I mean, I know up in the lands, English is their fifth language. Mm. You know, right. Having it on video and can be able to connect to a face makes it real, you know. Mm. And so then my monitoring and evaluation specialist will do all of the unpacking. She'll write a written report. She will give me that written report and I will then actually make a full documentary from that written report. So I've totally visualised a report mm. and made a documentary out of it. Those videos are so powerful because who really is going to read a 50 to 100 mm-hmm. page report. Yeah, yeah, you're right. However, who's going to watch an eight minute video telling you all about what's in the report? <laughs> it's changing times. And I've got to say, you are blowing my mind, Susan, mainly because you know, I've worked in radio for 26 years. And when you take a look at the decisions made in radio, it's all about numbers. It's mm. this percent, that percent. And, you know, as a kid, I remember working for um, the most popular radio station in the city at the time. And I remember being, you know, the, the junior employee and going, I get that that's that we're number one, but we're not that good. Like, it feels like we're complacent, that we're routine, that we're doing traditional things. We're not uh, doing anything to maintain... Uh, popularity because by doing the same thing, you know, eventually someone is going to innovate around us and we're just going to, you know, fall from grace. Um, What you've just put into words is something that would absolutely benefit, you know, the media industry. I mean, after all, isn't that supposed to be about communication? And story. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So do you see, uh, you know, the the work that you're doing with the remote communities in Australia, do you see other areas where there could be enormous benefit? Uh, Definitely. So, in the um, development areas, I mean, obviously that is in a development area anyway, but in the development areas, anything that's a people program, mm-hmm. really, um, anything that has people in the program, this is, uh, uh, you know, great for. Mm. So really, how many programs have people involved? Yes, every, every <laughs> yeah. program. Yes. And, and lots of government funding and, and government agencies that are, that are doing things in different industries as well. I mean, this would be hugely valuable mm. because I know the reporting mechanisms that are in place for a, an organisation to actually report back to the government about what has happened. Um, you know, this, this would be absolutely powerful for that. Yeah, definitely. And and as I was um, saying before, um, the monitoring and evaluation side is often an afterthought. It's an afterthought of a program and so it's sort of, you know, put on to the end of it. However, if it's actually thought about from the beginning, you can actually look at this from lots of different angles and actually pull on lots of different budget streams because it's not only an M&E tool, it's a PR tool, it's a communications tool, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a tool to be able to use in so many ways. It's not just a report for reporting purposes. Oh, we've got to mm. get this report out because we've we've got this amount of money mm. to be able to, you know, do this program. However, you can use it for so much more than just a report. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. How did you get into this? Is, is this something that you sort of, you know, woke up one morning and thought that would be a great opportunity or, or has there been a big history to get you here? Oh, there is a bit of a history actually. I used to be a nurse, strangely enough, and people go, oh my God, nursing, documentary filmmaking to monitoring and evaluation sort of stuff. Actually, nursing was crucial 
to do what I do. You know, there's so many skills, those soft skills that I learned in nursing that I would have never learned anywhere, you know, and those things are like earning people's trust really quickly, which mm. is just crucial in, mm. in documentary filmmaking and, you know, asking the really challenging questions often in difficult situations. And my ability to read body language is just extraordinary after being a high dependency nurse for some time. Mm. So, you know, all of these skills I would have never learned anywhere else and to be able to actually bring those into my practice practice, um, to be able to get that authentic story from people um, was really crucial. I did used to work for, um, well, the ABC actually a long time ago. And so I, when I left the ABC, I knew that a story was pivotal to where I wanted to go in my life. And I wanted it to be central to where and who I was, because story was just so powerful for so many things. And so when I um, started my business, I realised that actually I just don't want to tell story for story's sake. I want to be able to tell story for a purpose. And so that's where I sort of started creating this methodology of being able to actually use it to change programs and change policy and, and you know, hopefully too change legislation mm-hmm. because it is native to us. It is the way that we learn. It's the way that we grow. It's the way that we change our societies is through story. Mm-hmm. So to be able to use that in a really um, purposeful way and a multi-dimensional way as well, actually, to be able to use it for so many different things. I know that my clients use the stories that I create for lots of different things, not just mm. for a reporting purpose. Yeah. Mm. Why are you so passionate about having that kind of impact? I have a huge social justice bone in my body Mm. and it's actually the core of who I am and it drives everything that I do. And if there is a way that we can make our world more just, I'll be there doing it. Mm. But I'll be making sure that I'm doing it with a purpose, you know, Mm -hmm. like I'm not just going to go and protest something if I can't physically change it, you know. So this is a way that I can make an impact Mm. and hopefully change the way that we're doing things. And was there a moment when you realised that? When did you get really connected to that's who you were? You know, really that's an ongoing thing for me, uh, getting connected to who I, who I really am. Um, but I think that I reckon it was, you know, when I decided to leave nursing because, you know, when I was nursing, I, whilst I really loved looking after people and all of that sort of stuff, I'm a really creative being. And to be able to actually go to work and do what my creativity was really what I wanted to do. And nursing wasn't that. There's nothing Mm. creative about nursing. It's very textbook. It's very scientific. It's Mm. very, you know, which actually is really a beautiful mix between the two. I know that. I mean, I'm doing this course at the moment called Human Centred Design. And one of the things that IDEO Acumen look for is for this uh, diverse sort of skill set of being this and I've got that. I've got this real scientific background with a really artistic, creative bent. And mm. marrying the two together has, um, it's been natural to me. But now I realise that actually, you know, all of that scientific stuff is very methodical and it makes me uh, think about how I'm doing stuff. And that creative urge is this, the dynamic sort of side of stuff that brings everything together. So, yeah, when I left nursing and made that decision to leave nursing, I really had to make that decision to, I made that decision to, um, to find what it was that made my heart tick because, you know, we're here once, that's it. It's Mm. not a dress rehearsal. Mm. I'm not going to get to the end and go, whoa, I wished I did that. Mm. 
So really, I wanted to find that thing that made my heart tick because, uh, you know, I, I, I also wanted to live a life of purpose. Mm. It's, a, it's a really empowering place to be when you when you pulling everything that you've learnt through your, your life into what you do as a, as a job. And, and I mean, I've been very fortunate in my life to be have done that pretty much my entire career because every time I changed tact or changed direction was because of what had happened before. And I learned from that and I was able to build on that. But what I didn't realise until recently was that what I've done in the process of that is helped a lot of people along the way. And what you're doing is super important just in terms of the remote and regional communities and all of the other work you're doing. Those stories, there, there must be so many powerful stories that you have already experienced with this with this project. But I guess what I was trying to get to is how important for you is waking up in the morning and being able to just get out of bed and be happy to go to work? Oh, it's not work to me. Yeah. Mm. It's just not work. It's, it's I do this. I'll do this to the day I die. I mean, I'm so incredibly privileged that I'm doing what I'm passionate about. Mm. And I totally created it that way. Mm. As I said before, it's not, I don't want to get to the end and go, wow, I wish I didn't, I did what I wanted to do in my life, you know. I did that for 10 years. Yeah. I woke up and went to work and didn't love what I was doing. Mm. That was enough. 10 years was enough, you know, mm. like. Today I wake up and it's not a it's not work. It's just not work. I, I, there's nothing about it that's work. It's just a pure joy to listen to people and um, hear their stories and give them that platform to be able to share. You know, a part of who they are. And what an honor! What mm. a complete honor! I have of being able to hear those stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sure you have plenty of stories to relate yourself, but is there anything that comes up for you in regards to your work and really being knocked back by a story or something that really changed the way you looked at things? What you must be hearing out of you know their worlds must just be mind-boggling at times. Well, it's extraordinary. I mean, we have um, the oldest living culture sitting in this place that we are so privileged to call home being Australia every single one of those people blows me away yeah you know like there's not I I feel so honored and so privileged to sit next to them and hear them and give them the platform that they deserve to be able to be heard you Mm. know and Mm. and to be um in integrity with their story when I edit it and things like that, and to not actually um, put my bent on it. This is their story. This is and keep that authenticity uh, is really crucial to my practice, and it's really crucial to the monitoring and evaluation process as well, because mm. um, you know that authentic story is. So there's not one story. It's just this conglomerate of stories. It's just the whole story, mm. the whole story of our of our of our first people mm. on this um, on this beautiful country of ours. Yeah, so I, I just feel completely honoured. And it's obviously not just for Indigenous people either. Um, anybody's story to me is, is a complete honour to hear. Great. Now tell me, you're going to Sri Lanka. This sounds really exciting for the Fourth World Conference for Women's Studies. What's that all about and what are you doing? Well, I'm talking about my monitoring and evaluation methodology, which mm-hmm. I've been talking about with you today. Mm. 
And, um, yeah, I just saw it as an opportunity to be able to actually get this methodology. Actually, my goal this year was to get this uh, methodology globally. So I th- hopefully within that conference we'll see a lot of people. There's a lot of aid companies over there. There's a lot of UN, there's UN, UN Women. There's the gender equality issues in Sri Lanka are huge. Um, in fact, a lot of our aid dollar is spent on um, gender equality issues or programs, I should say. And so it would be a really interesting project to be a part of mm-hmm. and to be able to share my methodology with the other people. And what sort of impact do you want to have globally? Like how do you see this working? Oh, well, I, I can see this uh, working for all of those programs at the UN and DFAT and, you know, USAID and mm-hmm. um, Red Cross and all of those programs that have people in the middle. So, yeah, I do want to actually get this methodology out to those people. And the reason why I want to do that is because we can find out how we can do this better, you know, how we can be with each other better mm. and do programs better and do programs with people instead of for people. That was Susan Rooney Harding, a creative qualitative data specialist who came up with the story catches, stories for purpose, and I tell you what, they're having real impact. Oh, man. I, I mean, I've been incredibly inspired by hearing what Susan's had to say and just understanding that the, the amazing impact that she's having on people's lives in the remote and regional communities especially, uh, but also giving them the opportunity to tell their story, but then using that as a tool to measure against projects and programs that are in place to help people. Mm. On the next InShow podcast, we get some inspiration from a guy who's taken, you know, TED Talks to a city and he's got together a group of people to help him make it happen. Yeah, I mean, TEDx is a, is a brand that's sort of basically been there that we see as an overseas kind of brand, but it's been sitting in Adelaide for, you know, more than five years. And uh, we're going to talk to Robin Freeth. And the thing that I got most out of when we spoke to Robin was about more about the value of, of you know, contributing to community uh, and how volunteering is a, is a really important part of what he does. Hear more of what Robin's got to say on the next In Show podcast. The In Show Interview. Subscribe to the In Show podcast on iTunes. A Dave and the Beanstalk production.